0: Welcome to episode five of Shane Talks 99. This week, February 12th, 1999. We got three flicks to look at uh, today. Two kind of romantic ones and then one that's just a kiddie flick. Uh, so a wide variety of options for us uh, here. I actually made the time to watch all three this week, which I wasn't planning on doing. I was only going to watch two of them. The two rom-coms or the romantic comedy and the romantic drama. But um, the third one was on Disney+. Plus. It was free, if it didn't cost me anything, someday I'll own the DVD because I think I've said last week that my goal is now to own every major studio released in 1999 on DVD, even though it means rebuying some of them that I've sold or moved on to Blu-ray or digital. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of a collection I want. I want them in chronological order, just sitting on my shelf, every movie from 1999 as it was released. So the one that I wasn't planning on watching, we'll just start with it. We'll get it out of the way. don't really have a lot to say about it. It's a very blah movie. Uh, My favorite, Martian. It was a remake of the 1963 television show. Um, I didn't remember it at all. I knew I've seen it, obviously, because I've watched every movie that was released in 99 while I worked at the theater that year. Um, So I didn't really remember it. I remember it being pretty bad. It wasn't as bad as I remember it being. Maybe I'm just not, you know, an angsty... 19 year old anymore, that like, well, I guess I would have been 18 when that movie came out. Yes, I'm not that guy that does it. Like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm just a little more open to stuff now. Uh, it was okay. Um, the cast is great. We got Jeff Daniels in the lead role, and then we got Christopher Lloyd as the Martian, um, which in the old TV show, the main Martian used the name Martin, like they do in this movie. So it kind of just makes you think it's a reboot. um Way on at the end of the movie. You find out it's actually just kind of a a, a side sequel. Um, uh, Ray Walston who played the original Martian slash Martin in the TV series, he's in the movie. And through, while you're watching the movie, you're just like, "Oh, this is a nice little throwback to the TV show." They gave this this you know older actor a part. Yeah, he plays a like FBI or CIA agent or something like that who's on the hunt for the the new Martian. But at the end of the movie. Spoilers, sorry, it's over 20 years old. Uh, you find out that he actually is his character from the first TV show in the 60s. Uh, he's just been marooned on Earth um, without a way to go home. So, kind of a cool way to tie that in. I thought that was all right. Um, it did not get good Rotten Tomato scores at all. The critic score for it is a 12%. The audience score is a 30%. Shane's score probably in like a 20%. Like, I'm probably right between those two. Um, I didn't, I didn't like it, didn't hate it, I didn't think it was that good. Um, we do have uh two pretty well known uh lead female actresses in the movie. The first one being Elizabeth Hurley. Uh, Elizabeth Hurley actually has three movies uh in 1999 that her name will get brought up in. This one, she was also in a movie called Ed TV uh with Matthew McConaughey, which we'll get to, I think, like May ish or something. And then uh, in June, she has a very small cameo uh, in the Austin Powers sequel, The Spy Who Shagged Me. Uh, She was obviously one of the main characters in the uh, first film, but she just has a little cameo um, in the second one. So she'll she'll get her name brought up for a little bit there. Other female uh, lead in this is Daryl Hannah, obviously from Blade Runner, uh, Splash and Wall Street. Uh, So pretty, pretty decent, you know, female leads in this movie for kind of how garbage the movie itself is. Watching it picked up on a lot more sexual content than I remembered uh, when I watched it the first time. Uh, so many years ago, There, you know, typical Disney fashion, you know, their writers find ways to just put all kinds of weird sexual content uh, that's supposed to go over kids' heads. So it was, it was interesting to catch a lot of that, this, this viewing of the movie. Um, Another side character we've got in here, uh, we've got Wallace Shawn who plays um, uh, another one of the, uh, people going after the Martian. Uh, he's obviously known from stuff like Clueless, that was a couple years earlier, um, or, you know, the Princess Bride, which will get brought up uh, in the third movie we talk about. Uh, after Wayne Knight from Jurassic Park, uh, he plays the voice of the CGI suit that the Martian has in the movie. Uh it, his voice is, is very familiar. Uh I felt bad when I had to look it up because uh, like probably 20-30 minutes in. I'm like, I know this voice, and I, I just can't place who it is. So I had to look up that it was Wayne Knight. Really bad CGI though. In this movie, uh, it's it's a very 90s CGI. We haven't gotten to April yet when the Matrix completely changes CGI. Then in May, CGI blows up again with the uh with Star Wars episode one. So this this movie is definitely on the lower end of the CGI spectrum that, they, that goes through many evolutions throughout 1999. Um, and as I said, Ray Walston's in the movie. He will always be Mr. Hand to me. Um, he, I fast under original My Hive, written, and, written by Cameron Crowe, directed by Andy Heckerling. One of my all-time favorite movies, uh, and Mr. Hand is a huge part of that. So seeing Ray Walston, you know in other roles is always really cool. All right. So that movie, not really worth your time. Again, it's free on Disney Plus. If you got kids, I mean, they'll probably like it. It's got a lot of slapstick, you know, goofy, ridiculous humor, and, you know, a talking space suit that, that, you know, gets into some shenanigans throughout the course of the film. Kids today probably would still hold up just because, you know, I'm not, I'm not expecting them to look for like a really intense or serious, you know, plot that they need to pay attention to. So it's got a lot of sight gags and a lot of, you know, stuff that kids will probably still be into these days our second film we're going to talk about just in time for Valentine's day. I got my red shiny shirt on because we got Valentine's day coming up in two days. So we got two rom-coms to talk about now. The first one being uh, blast from the past stars Brendan Fraser and Alicia Silverstone. Uh, Brendan Fraser, just huge start to his career before this movie. Um, he went on uh, just a, a great run of movies in the early nineties. He had Encino man, school ties, airheads, Um, And my personal favorite, uh, one of the best films I think he's done uh, is With Honors, Uh, him and Joe Pesci, just an amazing film. So we get here to Blast from the Past. It's a a decent movie uh, for what it was. He has two other movies in 99 that we're going to talk about, uh, one of them being my favorite role he's ever done of Rick O'Connell. Uh, in the mummy, the first mummy film uh, that we'll be talking about in May, and then in July or August, I think it is, we will unfortunately have to uh, uh, August. We will unfortunately have to talk about the film Dudley Do Right, which um, is unfortunately one of the crappier kid-centric movies that I am not looking forward to watching uh, for this series. In this movie, uh, Fraser plays a guy named Adam, which is important because Alicia Silverstone, her name's Eve in the movie. Yeah, they, they went that just blatant with it. We're going to put these two characters together because it's Adam and Eve. Alicia Silverstone coming off The Crush, coming off uh, Clueless, uh, really kind of the height of her career, but I don't remember a lot of stuff she did like after this, like, you know, the 93 to 99 era is probably what I really remember from Alicia Silverstone. I, don't, I would have to look up and see stuff she did after this. Uh, we've got a couple of... Uh, Cool side characters in this. David Foley plays Alicia Silverstone's roommate. Um, he's you know usually good. He's usually pretty well typecast and does good at whatever he uh, he's put in. So he's got a lot of really good you know one-liners and um, stuff in the movie. Her boyfriend, Alicia Silverstone's boyfriend or ex-boyfriend or on and off again crazy relationship boyfriend in the movie, played by Nathan Fillion. Uh, while I was watching the opening credits, I saw his name pop up, and I was like, "Holy cow!" Like I had no idea he was in this movie in '99. I wasn't really that. I didn't. I'm sure I had seen him in other stuff like two Guys, a Girl in a Pizza Place," but uh, no, that would have been a couple years later, I think. So, really, didn't know who uh, Nathan Fillion was. So when I saw his name in the credits, it was cool that I was like, "Oh." I look forward to finding out where he pops up in this movie. Uh, This is another one. I had not watched it since uh, 1999 in the theater. Never watched it on video or home or anything like that. The other two big characters in this cast, we've got uh, Adam's parents, which are played by Christopher Walken and Sissy Spacek. Um, Really, really cool to see those actors because it's also really cool to watch the makeup when they start the movie in 1962. You got Christopher Walken who my entire life I've known with, you know, solid white gray hair to see him with dark, you know, Brown hair for, for the beginning of the movie uh, was, was kind of cool and interesting. Um, I guess he may have had dark hair also in Pulp Fiction. Now that I think about, but I think it still was like a peppered look or whatever. Um, The movie was written and directed by a gentleman named Hugh Wilson, Um, Not a super popular name, but he is also the same guy who was responsible for the very first Police Academy movie he wrote and directed that one, which is pretty cool. So the plot of the film just deals with Adam's parents in 1962. They're hosting a party. Uh, the, The Cuban Missile Crisis happens. So they kick everybody out of their house and they go into this bomb shelter that Christopher Walken, who's apparently like a super rich guy, he built this bomb shelter underneath their house, which is like huge. It's like, like massive. I can't remember how big they said it was, but giant bomb shelter under underground, they go underground. And it just, you know, in in, the nineties plot fashion, uh, a military airplane crashes into their house when they, when they go under, when they go underground. So they think that a nuclear bomb has been dropped. Uh, The, the bomb shelter locks itself up for 35 years. Uh, which gets us to 1997. movie came out in 99, so I guess the script was probably written in 97. Uh, the movie uh, calls it present day. So a little bit of a discrepancy there, but again, like I said, it was probably just because the movie was actually, or the script was actually written in 97. So uh, Adam... In in ninety seven, when the when the bomb shelter finally opens, like Adam grows up underground his entire life, he's watching you know reruns of I Love Lucy and the Honeymooners. He's listening to music by Perry Como, uh, Dean Martin, stuff like that. When the bomb shelter finally opens, Dad goes up. He sees you know Los Angeles in the nineties, which was a pretty you know bad time and era for for that city he immediately goes back down and claims that they've got to stay down there for another 35 years. He, he calls, you know, people up top mutants. And then, you know, per speed of plot, the, uh, the father figure goes sick and they don't have the medicine to, to, to heal him. So mom sends Adam up to, to street level with a, with a list of things to buy. She also sends him with a box of baseball cards. Um, the, the script obviously had an affinity for baseball and baseball cards, which, uh, the movie ends up kind of being like a love letter to, to, you know, like the 60s and whatnot, whoever wrote it in the way that when I would write a movie now, I would write it about 1999 and I would like embrace all of the stuff like, you know, Pokemon and Pogs and, uh, you know, what, uh, Furbies and uh, Tickle Me Elmo and like, all those things that were like popular in 99 would definitely be in my script. Uh, This person, you know, obviously had an affinity for things like baseball cards and stuff like that, Um, really, you know, probably wrote it about a lot of stuff that they grew up with at that time in the bomb shelter kind of probably, you know, they pulled a lot from their life. So when he gets up to the top, he runs into Alicia Silverstone's character through a bunch of 90s misadventures. They end up deciding to work together for two weeks so that he can get enough food. Um, supplies medicine to take back down to the bomb shelter so that he can uh, live there for another thirty-five years is the is the plan at that point of, of the plot. Stuff goes on, friends fight and argue and bicker. Uh, they kind of start growing feelings for each other. Uh, the third act of the movie was was probably the best part in my opinion. Um, once we get to the point where you know, our Adam and Lee, Adam and Eve fight. And then uh, Eve eventually believes Adam's story about, you know, who he really is. Uh, basically, kind of, well, first of all, at least Silverstone's character is pretty garbage in this movie. She's kind of a bitch. Um, she's, she's not well-written, in my opinion. She's very, like, one-dimensional. She stays with a dude that, like, literally treats her like crap, but every scene, well, he only pops up in, like, two or three scenes. But every scene that he pops up in, you can tell that she's, like, enamored with this dude that, like, literally treats her like crap. Uh, you know it, it, that was typical 90 s it was it was before you know a lot of changes came with female characters and whatnot so it was it was standard of how female characters were written back then that you know a dude came around treated her like crap and she was you know infatuated with the guy so once Adam and Eve's fight ends up being over and done and you know they're they're back on friendly terms uh, she comes and you know he takes her down into the bomb shelter to meet his parents and I just I really liked everything that happened once once we got to that point of the movie. Uh, I felt like The Last Third was was really fun and enjoyable and was pretty cool. Um, There's really a bizarre subplot to the movie where like this this when when the bomb shelter opens, it's in a it's in a bar that is closed. And there's, you know, the the guy who owned it, who his mom gave him the bar when it was a restaurant. And uh, he ends up becoming this crazy cult leader of people who worship the people that come out of the bomb shelter, really bizarre, of course they end up being utilized at the, you know, in, in the third act of the movie, but it's really just kind of ridiculous so yeah it's a fine movie it's fun it's it's exactly what i expect It's a nice little time capsule of what you know 1990s was like and and it's it's very paint by numbers for the plot and stuff like that but has to be a misunderstanding so that our two main characters are are forced apart for a while and yeah so the last film we're going to talk about this week is message in a bottle we have the first nicholas sparks film adaptation. It wasn't the first book that he wrote, but it was the first one that they decided to put uh, on film. Here's the thing I'm learning. People really hate Nicholas Sparks. right, not people. Critics really hate Nicholas Sparks movies. I'm going to give you the rundown of the Rotten Tomato scores for all of Nicholas Sparks's movies. 32%, which is message in a bottle. I'm doing these in chronological order. 32% for message in a bottle. 27 percent, 53 percent, 30 percent, 29 percent, 21 percent, another 21 percent, 13 percent, 12 percent, 31 percent, and then a low of 11 percent. So we've got a low of 11 percent and we have a high of 53 percent. And guess what? Guess what that high is? It's it's The Notebook. It's the one that everybody loves by Nicholas Sparks. And critics still only gave it a 53 percent. So. This is crazy. Uh, Luckily for Message in a Bottle, the Rotten Tomatoes uh, audience score is a 66%. Definitely closer to where I would put it. Um, Really, really liked this movie. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times over the years. I actually watched it uh, a couple of years ago during COVID. I don't know what. I was probably in one of my 99 moods or something. Um, But yeah, so I watched it recently and then I watched it again this week just to make sure it was fresh in my head. And I do really really like the movie. It's, it's fun and enjoyable. And I think it's a really well acted film. I love the cast, Kevin Costner, who, you know, obviously did feel the dreams and can do no wrong. I mean, uh, well, let me say that he can't do no wrong. Cause like dances with wolves and the postman and water world. Like he's obviously done some really bad movies. That being said, most, most stuff that I like Kevin Costner in, I really like Kevin Costner in. Um, lead female in this. We have Princess Buttercup herself. We have Robin Wright Penn, who apparently now goes by Robin Wright, which makes sense since her and Sean Penn got divorced a long time ago. So uh, Paul Newman is also in this film. He plays Kevin Costner's father, and Paul Newman steals every scene that he's in. The, The way he acts with Kevin Costner, the character is just phenomenal. Um, there are scenes where um, Kevin Costner is is his character is getting upset and aggressive, and the way Paul Newman talks him down is 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 really really cool and well done because it juxtaposes points in the movie where Paul Newman is by himself and he has those same type of breakdowns where he you know gets angry about stuff and 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 you know slams stuff around and just to see that like that's obviously where, you know, Kevin Costner's character got that from is if the familiar relationship that they have is really cool and really well done. And I think Paul Newman nails it every time he's on screen. He's just, he's commanding. Um, he, he When when he's arguing with people, he, he makes his points. Um, really, really like what Paul Newman did. Obviously, I love The Hustler and Color of Money and stuff like that. Um, Some other supporting characters we've got in this, uh, Princess Buttercup has two main people that hang out with her. The first of them, um, uh, first one being Robbie Coltrane. Uh, Robbie Coltrane had just recently done GoldenEye where he played, oh, I'm going to butcher this, name, Valentin Zukovsky. And in 1999, Zukovsky actually comes back in November. We'll be talking about The World Is Not Enough. So we'll have some more Robbie Coltrane to talk about. At that point, also from Mallrats, we have uh, the three-nippled, uh, uh, what is she? Card reader, uh, future seer, uh, Ileana Douglas is in this movie. She plays Robin Wright friend's bestie. So, pretty good supporting cast around her, and and like enjoyable characters. Like Robbie Coltrane plays Robin Wright Penn's boss, and he's he's a dick, but he's not like a real dick. Like he's he's very confident and 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 uh motivational to her so it's it's nice her Robin Wright and and Coltrane get into arguments and discussions and and butt heads a lot but you can all you can still tell that their characters really care about each other especially near the end of the movie when when she uh, is quitting her job and he gives her you know going away present it's a very hilarious and comical joke present that he gives her. And and it just shows the kind of relationship that they've always had. So really, really cool watching the two of them work together. Um, As far as Nicholas Sparks movies go, I know that absolutely everybody loves The Notebook and I just don't get it. Um, I find this character, uh, Garrett, whatever his last name is, um, I find this character far more interesting and enjoyable to watch um, the uh, the the way that this, so obviously like every Nicholas Sparks movie deals with death. There's always death. Maybe The, the Notebook's like the only one that doesn't. Like The Notebook has uh, loss of memory uh, as, as its like you know third act play. The majority of them deal with death. Uh, at some point, somebody in the movie dies, and and this movie does a great job. The, the character's is already dead. When when the movie starts. So this movie is really just all about the grief and how her husband and her family are dealing with with her loss. Um, You got characters that are still very much deep in grief and depression and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how they're going to, you know, go on without this main character, the wife uh, being around. Uh, It's 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 far better, in my opinion. They're like, Ryan Gosling's character in The Notebook, I don't like. I don't like him until that third act twist of, oh, here's them ending up together, and he's telling her all the stories about, you know, because she can't remember you know them being together. It, it like, the other one that comes to my mind that was right around the time that the second uh, when they came out was A Walk to Remember with Mandy Moore and Shane West and like I hated Shane West's character in that movie like okay maybe not hate but I strongly disliked him he does do some very noble and and, and great things throughout the course of the movie but he's also just kind of an asshole in the movie so I just this character uh, of Nicholas Sparks's is probably one of my favorites and I really really enjoy the build up to what ends up being a Nicholas Sparks ending Um the third act deals with the fact that uh, Robin Wright Prenn brings up the fact that there were three letters that she has copies of. He tells her that he only ever wrote two letters. Um, he gets to read the third letter, which was typed on the same typewriter, which is why everyone thinks it was another one that he wrote. Actually, a letter that his wife wrote to him and threw in the ocean far before he ever wrote the two letters that he wrote. So that's really cool. And then like, you get this character like coming to terms with the fact that it's time to move on. So he writes his wife an actual third letter that he's going to throw out into the ocean to her. And then of course, Kevin Costner dies. Sorry, spoiler alert, like the movie's 23 years old, uh, but he dies. And that fourth letter is what Robin Wright Penn reads at the end of the movie where he tells his wife that he's met somebody else and he's, he's going to move on to her. So like, boom, I think that is a great narrative story. I, I, I like it. I really enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, I really dig Message in a Bottle. There's also a small cameo near the end of the film. The, the uh, Kevin character is out on a boat, and he runs, it's a storm starts, and he runs across another ship, a uh, uh, husband and wife, and their little daughter. And, you know, it gets capsized, and they're all in the ocean, or in the, yeah, the ocean, and he's trying to save them. The little girl in that is our future hero, Hayden Pantier. So kind of cool. I'm pretty sure it was her her first movie that she ever did. But she plays a little girl who is you know, trying to not drown in the in the water. So that is the three movies that came out this week. One that's just blah for kids. One that, you know, perfectly fit for teenagers uh, in ninety nine. Um, not the best script, but still, you know, enjoyable enough. And then the first Nicholas Sparks film adaptation, Message in a Bottle, which I personally really enjoy and highly recommend. Even though if you haven't seen it, I already spoiled it for you. So sorry about that. It's still really good acting that you should go watch. Next week, February nineteenth, nineteen ninety nine, we got three films to talk—three ha- films to talk about again. One, the great Jake Gyllenhaal movie uh, *October Sky*. Uh, number two, the amazing Mike Judge comedy um, *Office Space*. And finally a movie that most people hate and I just kind of remember it being okay. I don't remember hating it. So it's going to be really interesting to watch it again this week. Uh, Jawbreaker, uh, which has a crazy cast. And I remember it being very dark and I think that's why I liked it then. So we'll see if my humor is still the same, uh, you know, 23 years later. All right, guys, thank you for listening this week. And we will talk to you next week.